Hello and welcome to Advoco Podcast, where we dig deep into developer relations and ambassador programs and each episode is packed with insights and actionable tips from experienced devils and program managers. If you like what we do, don't forget to hit subscribe and leave us up to a 5-star review at Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you want to reach us, you can always do that at podcast at advoku.com. Without further ado, I give you the Advoku Podcast. Hello, Karin, and welcome to Advoku Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We have met, or I have seen you first, at DevRelCon in Prague last year. And you have been talking, you have, uh, you have, uh, you have been on stage talking, speaking about uh, your experience in DevRel, but not everyone, probably not everyone knows you. So if you could introduce your, yourself briefly to our listeners. Sure. Um, so my name is Kareen. It looks like some people mispronounce it as Karen, but it's Kareen. Um, even though I don't, my, I don't always correct people. It just kind of depends. If I correct you, that means I expect that we're going to have a long-term relationship. So that's how you know. <laughs> that's how you know where you fit into my bucket. Um, so my background is a little untraditional in terms of how I got into DevRel. I think a lot of people kind of come from like an engineering background and then write things and whatever and fall into developer relations. I actually came from the music industry, so I. Um, I did like marketing and like sponsorship development for like Eminem and 50 Cent and these like big rappers. Like I would literally go to parties with Rihanna and Jay-Z. And like, just, you know, like that's like, that was my world. And um, I somehow like went from that to like concerts and then uh, like live, live shows. And then I went to developer relations when I um, met at the time, he was um, the head of DevRel at Neo4j now he's one of the founders of Mother Duck, uh, Ryan Boyd. He was the one who gave me like my first kind of entrance into developer relations. I was doing working with developer communities before that with like data science meetups and things like that. So like I had gotten involved in the tech world, but that was my entry into it. And there's actually a lot of commonalities between entertainment, marketing, and sponsorship development, what I was doing there and developer relations in a weird way. I think it's kind of one of those things like, I, I, you know, a lot of the developer relations I do is based on like awareness and, um, and that's like, you know, a lot of what I was doing in the music industry it was like awareness, like how could people find out about this stuff, and, you know, seeding the market, building hype, things like that. So, um, and now I, I now I have my own consulting company, um, doing DevRel kind of out of the box. So if there's a company that needs developer relations services, um, I provide it like the strategy and like engineers to like produce content, speak at conferences, things like that. Um, and that's been since October of last year. It's super cool. I'm, I like really enjoy the consulting side of things. It was an accident how I ended up getting into it, but you know. Okay. Yeah, that that's really interesting. I mean, this switch from music industry to DevRel and it being connected, I mean, this is quite unexpected I, I think at least for it is for me and I believe for our listeners so can you tell us like I know three main things that you have learned in the music industry and you have used in DevRel and how they connect sure um okay this is an unexpected question so I have to think about it a little bit <laughs> and like the first one that I'm thinking about is 
when everyone was, so there was two things that I was doing in music primarily when I kind of started my career. The first one was like um, releases of new music. So like Eminem was coming out with a new album or whatever, and we needed to promote this album and get people to know about it and talk about it, whatever, whatever. Um, so that's one. And then I was also doing sponsorship development. So that was like, basically, let's say Eminem was doing an after party for one of his shows or, you know, whatever. And like, we wanted to say like T-Mobile presents the Eminem official after party or whatever. I would create the sponsorship proposals and then try to pitch it to sponsors to get their brand placed there and to get in front of the consumers. Um, like the Eminem's, you know, audience, like their potential consumers. So like that was like kind of what I was doing. And so one commonality was when when there was like new releases and things like that, a lot of what we do is we would try to get the new records in the hands of influencers or like people who had a larger following, right? So like DJs and media people, bloggers, things like that. Like those were the people who we would focus on getting the records to. It wasn't as much like focused on mass, um, you know, promotion. So that was like one thing where it's, I think it's also like aligned with developer relations. You know, you try to find where the audience exists, what they read, where they go, whatever, and then aligning your content with that. And then the other thing, so another thing that kind of aligns is kind of like, so developer relations, when you're talking about like the awareness sign of things, like it has to be very organic, right? You're not trying to push things and you're not trying to sell things. You're building kind of like a reputation, you know, and like how people feel about your brand. Like, do they like you? Do they trust you? Like those, those are the things you're actually building. And that was a lot of what we were doing with sponsorship development. Like T-Mobile, for example, or any of these beverage companies or whoever was sponsoring some event. I mean, it was like usually beverage related or um, any kind of like consumer products, you know, like Monster Energy Drinks was like a big sponsor of like a lot of stuff. Um, Red Bull, things like that. They're not getting necessarily immediate sales from that, right? But they're associating with something that you know and trust. And when you know and trust it, you're more likely to know and trust this brand. So like I was taught once in like the advertising space, they're like, you know, you could have two kids gaming websites. You have one that's like Disney.com where like on Disney, kids can go and play some games. And then you have some other random one with like some random URL you could see the same ad on both of those sites and you're going to trust the ad on Disney more than you're going to trust the ad on this random site, right? So like you might get more impressions on the ad on the random site, but your trust factor and how people feel about your brand is going to be stronger with if you're promoting on Disney.com. That association can build trust and reliability. Like people trust you more because of the association. So that was like another thing um that was a commonality and i think like there's probably some like commonalities around building hype you know so like when you get people talking about you and like that that's another thing because like one thing i learned was like it only takes two sources two disconnected sources when you hear about something from two separate places you feel like you've heard about it everywhere it only takes two. So like I could talk to you about something and then you hear about something else. Like you're like, oh, Kareen works with this company, Rising Wave or whatever. And then you hear about it somewhere else and you're like, oh my God, I'm hearing about Rising Wave everywhere. Only takes two times that are disconnected. And that's like another thing that I also learned about 
that I think about a lot. You know, you're like, how can you distribute your content enough to like be able to hit people from two different places, the same kind of people. So that's, I think those are the probably three. That was like a long winded answer, but complicated. No, but it's very, very interesting. I mean, also very insightful. I think that DevRel can bring a lot from the marketing perspective and also sales perspective, but you need to structure it often a bit differently so that it relates better to the audience, which is developers. And the term audience is a gateway to the second question. Because we can speak about audience, we can speak about clients, users, we can speak about community, and we can speak about champions or ambassadors. And in DevRel space, we often speak about those big words like community, like ambassadors. And I think that you don't hear these words in like consumer brands that often or at least in different perspective, do you see community and ambassador programs or ambassadors in general as important part of DevRel? I, I do. I think that ambassadors, um, so there are, first of all, there are champions for many, many products and mm-hmm. talent, things like that. So it actually exists everywhere. And there's a lot of in like even like influencer marketing and things like that like uh there's a book by steve stout he's like a music executive the panning of america mm-hmm. um it's about how products just became viral like people wearing certain things and they're representing these brands and like all this kind of stuff and i mean it exists everywhere people not only that, people associate themselves with brands as to representative of who they are. And I think that's also similar in terms of like champions and things like that. Like they start associating themselves, like it becomes a part of who they are, you know, like they are like, they don't. So, okay. You're an Apple. We talked about MacBooks earlier. Are you a yeah. MacBook user? Yeah. Okay. So like most people, if they have an iPhone, they're like, I'm an iPhone guy or girl, you know? I'm an iPhone guy. Um, If you have an Android, you're like, oh, I'm an Android girl. Like, that's it. I'm an Android girl. What does that mean that you're an Android person? Like, how does that, what does that mean? Like, it means that you are an Android person? Like, you're actually just a user of an Android product. You're not an Android person, you know, but they associate who they are with these products. And I think that that's kind of where it starts off. Like, you know, Apple has a reputation of like, when you're an Apple user, this is what it means. You're probably on the top of technology and like things synced up and you, you know, you're very good communicator, blah, blah, blah. Like that's like the reputation of like what Apple might be representative of. So I think that there's, uh, I think there's commonalities um, there in terms of like champions and things like that. Like they exist everywhere. I, I do think it's important to have it. I think a lot of times it happens organically. People love something and then they want to represent the brand because of what it means about them. But yeah, I hope, does that answer your question? You can be a a Pepsi guy or a Coca-Cola guy. And is it different from being a particular tech guy? Or these areas are such similar 
that you can learn from the consumer perspective, like the consumer product perspective, and use it in several space? Hmm. That's a great question. Um, I mean, yes, I think they're very different. Because, um, like, first of all, if you're talking about consumer like products, like basic things, like, you know, Pepsi, Coke, things like that, like, those are very lightweight. And, like, you know, if you have differences with your friends and tastes, like, you know, it's not a big deal. But um, I think with technology, you know, things like everybody wants to use like the stuff that's great and amazing. And um, I think having champions is probably a lot more important in the tech space than it is in, you know, your consumer beverage industry or something like that. Yeah, like, so even, like, technology and tools, like, when I think about, like, Apple versus um, Android, like, even just as simple as that, I think that's more aligned with, like, the importance of having champions. Like, I only have an Apple phone because my boyfriend peer pressured me to get an Apple phone. <laughs> I swear, for I literally just got an Apple phone in, like, March. And, like, an iPhone. Like, I, and I still... I'm still an Android person. Sorry to all the Apple people. Like Apple's a good, it's a great phone, but I still love my Android more. This is my compromise, like my sacrifice to the relationship is I use iPhones, but I was peer pressured into it. You know, I don't think it's exactly similar to like tech products, but I do think that there is more, I do think that there's a need more for like having champions, you know, and then it's a lot of reasons too. Like, you know, people... I think with with technology products, like they're really complex, you know, so people do a lot of research and like the research online has to point in the direction of your tech product. And if you have champions that are really evangelizing your product and saying like, this is amazing, this is what you need to use. And they're writing blog posts and they're making comparisons that are organic and not biased and like whatever. I think that's that's the key to like, you know, building that reputation inside of the industry. So it's not even necessarily with your champions having direct content with their, their network. It goes way beyond that. You know, like if I look for like this versus that, like anything, like I'm comparing toothbrushes, Oral-B versus Philips electronic toothbrushes. If I see it on Oral-B's website, I'm not going to trust it, you know, but if I see some random blogger that goes into the deep detail of like how the bristles work and whatever, and I'm like, and he's like, oh, these bristles get deeper inside your gums and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, okay, then that makes sense. I'm going to start, I'm going to listen to this random person. By the way, this random person might be a total placement by Oral B, you know, because um, they know that people are going to Google these things and make a comparison. And that's like how people make their pers purchasing decisions. And mm -hmm. people do a lot of research. Um, but that is, I think, why it's important to have those champions. You know, they kind of reiterate like the strength of your product. Okay. Stand up for you. Um. So if it is important, if it is that important, how should you start approaching this? I mean, should you should it be organic or can you stimulate somehow the um, appearance of champions? Let's say that you are responsible for DevRel in a company, in a new company. It has good product, good tech. Um, what would you do to get to this point of having champions how would you start yeah i think it depends on where you are like what stage you are um 
Because I think like a lot of times, smaller companies, they want to start champion programs and it's not necessarily the right time. So like, do I think you need to have champions and recognize them and find ways for them to speak up and, you know, give them a platform of, for like their voice and help them accelerate it? Yes, 100%. Every company, every tech company should be doing that. Um, but there's a difference between that and having a formal champion program. Formal champion programs are like the ones that like have a name, Microsoft MVPs or whatever. Um, and they're very, very structured. Um, versus for like, for early stage companies, you might want a, something that like looks like a champion program, but isn't necessarily labeled as one. So like you might, so you want to build a foundation for people to be able to like share their experiences and their voice and whatever, whatever it is, like whatever kind of content, like maybe they're like a user of the product. They want to talk about what their company is doing with it, whatever you want to build a foundation for the able for them to like emulate something that would be a champion program without actually labeling it as such. Cause like, if you don't have a lot of champions, it's going to look sad you know, you can't have five champions listed on your site. Like, it just doesn't look good. So until you grow that, I think you kind of could do something that emulates it without formalizing it. So, like, you identify somebody in your community who's active. It could be anything. They're asking a lot of questions or, like, they might answer somebody else's questions or something like that. And you try to get that person to do a little bit more and then helping them accelerate that. So, like, you might find that one user is, you know, asking questions about how they're tying your product in with another product, MongoDB or whatever. So you might say, oh, you know what? This is an opportunity for us to connect with MongoDB. And you reach out to that person and you say, hey, would you be interested in talking about your project? And then you reach out to MongoDB and you say, hey, we have a community member who um, is interested in like talking about what they're building with our product and you guys or whatever. And then you figure out how to do like collaborate on things together. And then you have your champion who's going to present on it. And then you still give them swag and whatever, not a formal champion program, but you're still doing things like helping them get their voice out there. Um, you know, you're providing them with swag and all these other like little things that are vital to like the success of a champion program. Does that make sense? You've mentioned that we should look for a person who is already kind of involved in the community or in our product somehow. We should look for someone who is asking questions, answering questions. But let's take a step backwards. What makes people interested enough, engaged enough, motivated enough to do it in the first place from our perspective? What makes them? So um, there's there's a really good book called um, Drive by Daniel Pink that talks about motivation. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's like a, a good book that I think people might want to check out if they're interested in like really understanding it. There's also other books called like A Thousand and One Ways to like motivate your employees. And like you're not trying to necessarily motivate your employees, but the thought process behind it is very similar. I think doing monetary compensation can be, it's actually like there's been studies on it that like if people like to draw when you give like kids, right? When you give them a reward like money, 
they actually stop drawing but versus like hanging their pictures on a wall or like recognizing them for like wow look at these amazing pictures or doing you know maybe doing like an art show or whatever so like thinking about those types of things so I think like there's a few different things that like I just like try to like consistently think about um one is gratitude and then the other one is recognition and then the third one is some kind of feeling of like leveling up so like making them feel like they're superior to other people in the community um I think like so it's it's a feeling right you don't have to like necessarily that's why they label people as like experts and mvps and champions and all this kind of stuff because it's supposed to make you an elite group um so like figuring out how to make them feel a little bit more elite so like you could say like this is one of our most like uh, engaged users or like he's definitely one of our you know i don't know like i think you'd have to like kind of play around with some like words on like how what you would label them if you're not making a formal champion program but gratitude is huge like you have to be like wow thank you so much and then you have to recognize them where you are just like look at this amazing person what great job that they did and this is all like the same type of things that motivate your employees right like I remember like when I was working with Startree like our CEO used to do these things like from the very beginning I was employee 13 and I remember like we used to do uh all hands meetings every week and um every week they'd also have like a demo of like what someone was working on internally like any part of the product or whatever they would just kind of show it off and he would sit there and he would like wow this is really cool he would say this is really cool this is really cool this is really cool and like I remember thinking it I was like that's got to be such a great motivator when like someone just recognizes your things like you know the CEO of the company I mean there's a small company then so it's like not that big of a deal but like you know having that recognition and that like gratitude that goes such a long way so figuring out how to formalize those things that's a big deal so like if you're not building a formal champion program having some kind of system in place to be able to like elevate these quote-unquote champions um or whatever you want to call them that is like kind of where you want to be like you want to make them feel like you are just shouting them from the top of the mountaintop be like this person is amazing you know um, and I think that those are like the biggest motivators and drives uh, pretty consistently. Um, but then you also have to give them the platform to like do these things, right? Like you need to give them the ability to speak and shout their voice because a lot of times people don't do it themselves. Um, you know, like I, I found this one guy who was like, I mean, well, actually, it's a little different. Like I'll give you an example of one. So there's this there's this guy in the Star Trek community who somebody asked a question about how does this compare to, I don't even remember, some other technology. And how does Pino compare to this other technology? And this guy went in and he just like said, he's like, oh, well, we tested both systems out and here's what we got, blah, blah, blah. He just answered this guy's question. And I was like, oh, you should write a blog on it. We'll like, you know, help you amplify it, blah, blah, Like did the answers. And he created this like really comprehensive blog post, which is like, you know, everyone knows compare, not everyone knows. Comparison blog posts are huge. And if you can get it from your community saying that your product is superior, that's like a big, big deal. But he created this like comprehensive blog post of like, you know, just documenting the different things that they tried and what worked and what didn't work and why they chose Pinot. And that like is just amazing. And then we help shout it up from the rooftop. And anytime that like someone asks a question, 
We link back to his blog and we're like, oh, this guy wrote this amazing blog post and blah, blah, blah. So we're constantly recognizing him for those things. And those things make him feel really good and make him want to do more. And that's how you motivate them. But then you also have to like sometimes massage it a little bit. Be like, oh, what's the next thing we're going to have you do? You know, and kind of like hold their hand a little bit to get them to do stuff. So it is important to have somebody, I think, like internally, some kind of community manager or something to help you facilitate those things. But yeah, that's what I think. You have already mentioned that you've been responsible for champions slash ambassador programs before. Are there any tips that are that 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 you could uh, share with people who have started already such a program but are struggling with bringing value from these programs or growing them? Yeah, um, I mean, I also like. You know, I've had success, a lot of successes and I've also had some failures too. Um, so I've learned from those things. I think just look, looking at some of the failures of like what I would have done differently is I, I made the reward too long of a game where it should be like you should have incremental feelings of rewards. You know, like person does one thing, they should get something, some kind of feeling, some kind of recognition, something in there. And it wasn't enough of that like quick thing. Um, so I think that that's like kind of important. So like, for example, if it's like, I mean, like this is one of the cases where I think I could have done better is like answering questions on Slack. You know, you want your community to help answer questions on Slack. I personally don't, I, I personally would not encourage that as like the number one like use of community um, in my personal opinion. I mean, it does. It can alleviate a headcount, but I just don't think it's as useful as other things of what you can use your community for. But if you did decide you wanted to do that, um, you know, we did this thing where like, if you answer this amount of questions in a month, you get put on a leaderboard and then you get this thing and when you earn this thing and whatever, and it's six months and blah, 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 whatever. It was like, this, it was just a long process. And it's just like, oh my God, it really shouldn't be that, that deep, you know, like, It should be like, okay, you know, maybe they take one of the questions and they write like some kind of like an, like a deeper dive blog post about it. Like if they know it's a common asked question and then you send them something, but then they also have to answer something else, the answer two questions to get something else. You know, swag, swag is like, it's a very controversial topic because like in a lot of ways, like I think swag is garbage, but in a lot of ways, I think it's vital to have. As like, because like I said, it represents you, you know, and if somebody can earn it, that's when it's super valuable. Like when people earn a piece of swag, they like treasure it. Um, so like, you know, I've got like, even like, I got a jacket from like conference with the conference name on it. And I'm like, oh, look, there's a speaker on it, you know, like I'm like, so I think that's another thing is like earn swag. So I would, I would try to make sure that like you're hitting one of those three things in each of your progression as you're like having them do something. So like the gratitude, the recognition level. But like I think it's like really important to like just make sure making sure that you're, you know, aligning those with um whatever it is that you're, you know, you're doing. That's like something that I feel like I learned. That's probably the big one. Um I would and also I would say is that whatever you're asking them to do try to make sure that it's actually going to be useful for the rest of your community. Don't just like stuff to do stuff, mm -hmm. you know? So think about like what you're asking them to do 
and how it's going to contribute back to the people in your community. So like, for example, what you're doing, like with the podcast thing. So this has like a lot of benefits, right? It's like one, it's you're offering like free educational content to the people who are developer advocates and the people who are in your space, right? So like one is that you know you're providing value. But then the other thing you're also doing is you're building a reputation with all these guests that you're, I mean, you know you're doing this, right? So like you're building the reputation with all these guests on your show and you're amplifying their voice and that makes them also feel good. And that makes them want to say like, oh, I love Jarek and we like, you know, we're homies and da, 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 whatever and I love the company and, the, you know, um, so like those are kind of the things like you can offer them to be on a podcast or whatever. I mean, but yeah, so, you know, making sure that it's also valuable for the rest of the community is also important. You've mentioned some failures slash mistakes. Um, is there anything else that you'd disencourage other deferrals? I think that every community is different. And I think that sometimes trial and error is important. And I think just because it doesn't work in one community doesn't mean it's not going to work in another community. Um, I think that a good way to start is just to kind of play around with individuals and see what they're doing and see what works um so i think probably creating like a full-blown program it's actually it's like it's very similar to building products right like you don't want to build these products with all these features and all these capabilities unless you know people actually want them right like you have to like do user research and like do people actually want this and what kind of features do they want and are they do they think they want something that they actually don't right because sometimes people tell you something but they don't actually want that thing so I think that that's like another thing so maybe testing it things a little bit like in terms of concept to see if this is something that would make sense before you go all in and build out these like robust champion programs that then fail you know and then you're like spent nine months building this out and trying to push it and whatever and no one's interested in it so I think that that would be probably another thing because um, I found myself doing that before too. Like I built robust programs and sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't, you know, but that would be something that I would probably, but also try and error. Sometimes it takes time to, you know, you got to, you got to play around with it and see what happens. Trying and seeing what, what works. We have seen in the last probably two years, we have seen a series of layoffs in the tech space in general. There has also been a series of layers in DevRel space. Do you think that DevRel space in general will grow and this approach will grow or will it shrink in the following months and years? Okay, I think when developer relations kind of first came about, I think it, it came from a very different place, right? So like companies needed somebody to actually work with their software developer like community to like help them figure out how to use the products and like making sure that they're like using it right and like writing even like documentation and things like that and I think over time it's become a practice that is like somehow meshed into marketing and sales and now the expectations of DevRel are like vastly different like people are still expecting lead gen which is insane because that is not what DevRel is built for. Like you can definitely measure DevRel success off of growth for sure. And like, if you're doing DevRel right, you should have growth to some degree. I mean, there's also some, there's also a lot of other elements that go into developer relations, but developer relations is very complex. And like, 
you know, you're building a hype, you're building feelings, you're building association, you're building relationships. It's really complicated to calculate. So I think it also makes it very uh, susceptible, like to get cut when budgets get cut, because it's not a lead generating tool. So you're, it's very difficult to say, this is how much it's actually worth. You know, like, if you have a community person posting a comparison thing on some random site, their own medium, about this versus that, you don't know how many people read that thing and made their decision based off of this blog post. So you can't say this is a valuable tool. So you might cut it out and then you're missing out on all those pieces of content that you can't actually track. You know, so like I think that that's like where it gets really um, challenging. I think, you know, developer relations it used to be broken down into like developer advocacy and developer evangelism and like evangelism were the people who evangelized, right? They were the ones who went to the conferences and spoke of things and they, as that could be a little bit more lead generating, but developer relations really shouldn't be a lead gen tool. And I think it's becoming that. So in some ways, I think that it's, it needs to shift um, because the market requires it to. Um, you know, like developer relations, people are getting involved in sales and they're getting involved in lead gen. That said, I also personally am starting to really dislike the word, the term developer advocate, because I think it's starting to get a reputation of being salesy because we all know that developer relations people are now being measured off of things that are not organic, right? They can't just go around and be like, well, this feature has this, but this this feature like you can't say that something else is going to be a little bit better. That's how you used to be able to do it. It used to have to be very transparent, very honest. And now it's like a little salesy. And I think like even conferences, you know, you get a talk submitted from DevRel person. You're like sales, you know, it's salesperson to some degree, right? I'm like, I'm kind of, I'm over exaggerating the situation. But like, that's where I think it's kind of, I think developer relations, I think it should be. I think it should be broken down into a couple of different pieces, but I think it also needs to be treated very sensitively. This is like, this is, it's such a complex topic because like there's so many people that are involved in this. Like I also understand the need for lead gen, especially when the budgets aren't high. You're like, you need to be able to quantify this position, but it's also going to be bad for the developer relations reputation. You know, um, like I, I even made a suggestion. I was like, I think we should start stop calling developer relations developer relations, just call them software engineers. That's it. Because they are. You know, most of them are software engineers. Like, we should just call them software engineers that happen to work with the community. That's what I would do. And, like, I actually even saw, like, one of my friends is, like, applying for jobs DevRel person, and he saw there's, like, it's like a product marketing engineer or something. And I'm like, why would you name it that? Why would you name it that? It just sounds so salesy. You know, so... um. So that's what I, I that's what I think. I think it's uh it's going in the direction of Legion, which I don't think is great for you know the reputation, but it's also necessary, you know, like I, I think about lead gen too. Um, even like when I'm doing developer relations stuff, but I do believe in like the organic approach. This this will be difficult. I mean, definitely being lead gentle slash not being lead gentle. Um bringing value to the devs, to the community, slash bringing value to the organization. I think that DevRel means different things to many people, to different people, to different companies. And maybe there should be some change of names and DevRel should not be one thing. 
Okay. And there maybe maybe there is a way of accommodating it all, but not in one devil umbrella. I don't know. I think it's very I think it's very smart and I agree with you. And it's interesting because you'll find developer relations jobs that the job rec is not the same. Like you'll have job recs that are like tutorials, documentation, whatever. And then you'll have ones that are like conferences, blogs, that are awareness, you know, like they're, they, they're different, but they're labeled the same. And they probably shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. It's also a matter of what team they're bucketed under, you know, like that's a good way to know. You're like, oh, okay, you're under marketing or you're under product. They're like where they're sitting. Well, as you, you know, can give you a good idea of like what, the expectation. Do, do you have a personal preference? My guess would be product. It should be its own department. If the company is huge, probably under product or, or even engineering. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't think it's bad to tuck it under marketing. But the difficult part about that is that like marketing's goals are lead gen. So like even if they have an understanding that developer relations is not lead gen, they have to be able to create other types of metrics that are similar that are not focused on that bottom line. And I think as long as they're doing that, I think it's okay. You know, there has to be like an under, there has to be an understanding of like who the person is who's contributing to DevRel and what the company's expectations are. And those things have to be aligned. And I think this is a very good summary of our conversation. Do you have any parting thoughts to our listeners? I love DevRel. I do hope that um, it continues, and I hope that the I you know actually what kind of what you were saying like it would be great if it started breaking off into pieces of like where the focus areas are, so it's not really one of the same. Because like even like developer relations, I think it used to be the people who were like actually working with the product and giving feedback and like features and like requests and things like that. Like they were like basically the advocates for the community and now they've you know it's just become like kind of i don't know at least it feels like it's a little bit washed out term i mean not everybody knows about it right so not every software engineer knows what a developer advocate is but i hope it just i do hope it doesn't go there so i guess final thoughts i hope people i, I feel like they will because it's like the software engineer culture like the personality of software engineers is to like just remain very um honest you know and just be like good people and kind to each other and you know let's hope for that let's hope for that um before we wrap up where can people find you if they want to talk to you further i'm literally on every you can literally google my name and find me about anything that you want thank you very much kareen kareen for the for the conversation and i hope we'll be able to talk again and maybe see how the evolves yes thank you for having me this was fun